2: Hello, and welcome to the Randomly Generated History Club, where three non-historians pick a year at random and try to learn things about it. I'm Will, and I'm here with my two friends, Ant and Anna. Hello. Hello. This week, we're talking about the year 1187. Mm -hmm. And do we have the three-word previews before we launch into it today? Please, I'd actually like to first of all start with Ant.
1: Okay, then uh, mine is So Many Dynasties.
2: So many dynasties, so probably yeah. at least two dynasties.
1: And Anna.
3: Fascinating. Mine is sad for Yoshi.
1: Sad, for, sad Yoshi. for Yoshi? Yeah. Okay. The dinosaur in Mario.
3: We'll see. Okay.
2: What about you, Will? Just having like gen- genuine flashbacks to playing Mario 64? on the SNES. Was this oh, was that the, the one that Yoshi turned up for the first time? Uh, you you I think really we,
3: aged yourself yeah, I think there.
2: I think it was. Uh, so my thing
1: Crusaders versus Jihadists.
3: Oh, okay. I wonder, I wonder what Will's going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. Kingdom of
1: Heaven. Yeah, you could have yeah. just said Kingdom of Heaven. That's three words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kingdom of Heaven.
3: Should we put impose a penalty for saying it, the, mov- the mm. name of the movie? Yes. Like we used to do with Game of Thrones, yes. right? Oh, and that cured us. We that haven't us. mentioned, we haven't Game, mentioned Game, of Game of Thrones in like 40 episodes. episodes.
2: That's yeah. true. <laughs> Yes. Okay.
3: Okay. I'm going to slap you on increasingly painful parts of your body with every mention of it.
2: I agree (laughs) to
3: this.
2: (laughs) Okay, this week I'm going to talk about Balian of Ibelin, also known as Barrison the Younger.
3: Why do I know that name?
2: You know the name because he, as I'll come to in a moment, he features in the movie Kingdom of Heaven. That's hit number one. (laughs) Um, And he was a crusader nobleman in the Kingdom of Jerusalem in the 12th century. And of course, he's also the central figure in that movie, which is probably the greatest motion picture ever made. Uh, in, uh, it was built, made in two thousand and five. Stars Orlando Bloom at the at the very very height of his powers. Yeah, the p-
3: absolute peak of his powers. say p-
1: the peak so, so far, so far. Well, I mean, yeah, famously, it <laughs> could be a kingdom of heaven too.
3: Yeah, and- until they reboot Lord of the Rings, and this time he plays Gandalf. <laughs>
2: oh, no, I think come on. There's so much more to come from Orlando Bloom, uh, and uh, and also starring the incomparable eva green mm-hmm. uh, and um, and consider yourself pr- warned this co- this contains n- basically nothing but spoilers
1: for the- <laughs> <laughs> this, like, my whole bit is eva just spoilers green really gets typecast as like a
3: mysterious mysterious
1: adjunct woman yeah that, you know is just the the, the you know Person mysterious
3: adjunct woman is the best we can hope for yeah. honestly <laughs>
2: that's that'd be amazing i'd love to like be a mysterious adjunct just a powerful <laughs> a powerful knight. um okay <laughs> no i'd hate that No, i think about it okay so so <laughs> yeah. the the main event uh which is the climax of the movie is the event that took place in the year we're talking about sorry which what is, movie is this 1187 no oh. don't do it she'll hit you more um the movie in question. And, and, and this, the year is 1187, right? Yep. Okay, so, so this was the year where Balian took command of the defences of Jerusalem and ultimately ended up surrendering the city to a chap called Saladin um, in October of that year. So we're going to talk a bit about Balian mostly and and his life. So Balian was the son of the first Balian of Ibelin uh, and his dad had been given the castle of Ibelin in, in 1134. So it that for about 50 odd years before. And uh, that had been for his loyalty to the king of Jerusalem at the time. And this was a brand new fort that had been built between uh, Jaffa and Ashkelon on the coast. And it was one that uh, then obviously the family then took their name from. And and Balian was basically uh, the youngest Brother of three three boys mm-hmm. uh, that his father had, and his father was ba- this sort of classic figure of crusading people at the time, crusading knights. So the family didn't have like that much of a name before all of this, and then he made most of all the warring opportunities mm-hmm. and managed to ba- make a name for himself. So he's kind of like new money, new knight, and uh, that's a real rich to
1: riches story, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs>
3: okay, we've already diverged from the movie because if memory serves, he's like a poor blacksmith in France, right?
2: That is that is the way the movie portrays it, so I'll come on to this. So okay. so, so Balian, you know, having been the youngest son, um, his older brother Hugh then died in around 1169, mm-hmm. and the castle of Ibelin then passed to the next brother, Baldwin. But Baldwin was already law, a lord of, of Ramallah, so basically thought... Well, you know what? Just take the castle, Bailey, and You have it. Um, and, I, and I won't go into all the ways in which the film d- differed from reality. But it's interesting to talk a little bit about the, how the film portrays things because it actually tracks, like overall, quite closely the events that happened. Yeah. Um, in the sense that, like, the main characters mostly actually existed, okay. which is not always given. Yeah. For Hollywood. Uh, and and he like he really was the unfavored son of a knight father who um, had and he really did lead the defense of Jerusalem and he did really did ultimately surrender the city and the king at the time really did have leprosy we'll come to that in a moment uh, and all these things were actually things that happened okay. um he wasn't a blacksmith just like hanging around in uh, yeah. in jerusalem he wasn't like illegitimate so he that-
3: probably also wasn't as shredded as orlando <laughs> bloom is in the
2: movie
3: <laughs> he's jacked man
2: in the movie, is he? Yeah. You know, so I can't actually recall that bit. Okay. <laughs> is that yeah. right? I mean,
3: we may have been watching for different reasons. Interesting. We focus on different aspects. <laughs> yeah.
4: That is interesting.
2: Uh, and the worst part for me, though, is that Eva Green, it turns out, is not actually a, a crusader princess. Aww. She's, mm. so, 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 I, I, in the research for this bit, actually, it turns out, she's, like, Do you know she's a French actress. What? <laughs> she's like, <laughs> <laughs> she's not... Eva Green, yeah, she's not a Crusader princess. Yeah, so anyway, so okay. so the, anyway, so, um, being a part of the court of the Holy Lands at the time yeah. as a knight meant that you were continually vying for power or yourself, or you're having to pick sides between the various people who are vying for power. And so, Balian found himself a real Game that- of Thrones.
4: No, <laughs> oh, no no we can't bring it back
2: now <laughs> and, um, and Balian found himself caught up in this Game of Thrones uh, and, uh, quite a few times and and the big problem uh, at the time was that um, King Baldwin IV who we see in the film portrayed by Edward Norton okay. uh, had leprosy and he did
1: actually have leprosy and so there are a bunch of different facts Edward factions. Norton did actually have leprosy <laughs> yeah, he's
3: a method actor yeah. so he got it um,
1: I still haven't seen the movie have you not no I haven't um, and I refuse to watch anything based in historical fact.
4: <laughs> well, that explains a lot.
1: <laughs> um, so uh, there were all
2: different people trying to be kind of regent for King Baldwin while he was off yep. being ill. And one of the key struggles or struggles, it was basically just no, trying yeah. to live yeah. uh, at the time were between two aristocrats. So there was a, a guy called Raymond on the one hand. and Everybody loved him. <laughs> <laughs> and he was the more popular figure. And then Guy de Lusignan, on the other hand, who is just a gloriously evil bad guy in the film, <laughs> he's like almost camp, you know, yeah, sort of betrayal yeah, yeah, yeah. by I don't know who who who, who the actor and is. Brendan Gleason, maybe? Is it? I
3: can't remember. I think actually, he,
2: I think it's the other one. But, oh, they, but okay. he's a brilliant. Yeah. He's a brilliant, brilliantly. Portrayed. Hang on.
3: Did we just gloss over the fact that everybody loves Raymond is about the Crusades? <laughs> yes, <it is>. yeah. <laughs> wow, I really did not watch that show. Right. <laughs>
2: Uh, and in real life, Balian actually was an advisor to Guy de Lusignan, uh, whereas oh. in the movie they're kind of arch enemies and nothing more complex than that. But, but So he backed Raymond originally, but then you know, became an advisor to Guy later. So it was all very murky and grey. And the movie makes out that Balian was this very black and white figure mm-hmm. from an ethical perspective, which it implies is like a really good thing because uh, he holds to his principles. But actually, he was really just yet another knight caught yeah. up in the power struggle of, of the time. Mm. And and the movie also makes out that he was too sensible to go along with Guy on his military campaign with the Templars and the Hospitallers, but actually, in reality, he was just a day behind the army because he was just was just held up. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, um, wow! And, and he was a day behind trying to catch up when they were defeated at the Battle of Cresson yeah. uh, by Saladin's son. And and when he heard the news, he then scarped back to Jerusalem. Amazing. <laughs> so and the movie then conflates that battle, Cresson, with a, with the following one at Hattin, uh, which was a much larger larger battle where the Crusader army there's a very light, long story I won't go into, go into in detail but the, the army basically allowed itself to be separated from its water source because Saladin's army got between them and the water uh, okay. uh, and so they then were just in the middle of the desert with no water and it went quite badly from yeah, then on sub,
3: sub-optimal, I <laughs> yeah, would say. That
2: and so Saladin sort of systematically harassed their forces and then defeated them quite easily in the end uh, and this was basically the beginning of the end of the whole of the kingdom of Jerusalem really and nearly every town and castle then successively fell to Saladin Saladin, because the army, they defeated the whole army, yeah, yeah. or the big the bulk of the army. So Balian was then uh, was then in a position where he had to kind of ask Saladin for permission to return through his lines, through Saladin's lines, to uh-huh. get to Jerusalem so he could escort his wife and children to Tripoli to escape. Wow. So his only desire at that point was just to kind of get his wife and kid and get out of there. Yeah. Wow. And uh, and Saladin allowed it, and it provided that Balian, first of all, left the city straight away, and secondly didn't raise arms against Saladin. Uh, when he arrived in Jerusalem or, or thereafter so which Balian like completely went and reneged on as we'll oh, see oh shocking so, so, yeah. so Balian then arrives in the Jerusalem understandably the locals who you know the, the whole army had gone out to fight Saladin mm-hmm. right so there's no army left in Jerusalem Balian turns back up having missed the battle because he was a day behind and he comes back in and he's like um hi anyone see my wife and kid and uh <laughs> and, and then and like all the people are basically say like imploring him to stick yeah, around yeah. to help to defend the city so and the local patriarch
3: he's like nah man I gotta <laughs> go <God. laughs> I made a
2: deal. <laughs> no, it's slightly better than that. So the local patriarch then conveniently absolves Balian of this oath he's made to Saladin. Wow. Oh. Oh, okay, so you can just absolve oaths like that. Okay. It's yeah. The whole thing. yeah, exactly. Because ah, okay. God's on their side. God wills it, right? Oh, uh, yes. Okay, and uh, and um, then Balian found that there were literally only two other knights in the city. Uh, which is a very, very low number of knights. <laughs> to, 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 and so yeah, you
3: want at least five or six.
2: You do, you g- genuinely, at yeah. the very least. So, yeah. so he created 60 new knights from the ranks of the soldiers yes. who were in the city. So
3: much rise, like just- a <laughs> night. Exactly. rise a knight!
1: Rise a knight! Is that from the movie?
3: Yes, and okay. then my friends and I came up with, we made a musical version of it where the show-stopping song was called Rise a Knight and it went like this. Rise a knight, rise a knight. Rise, a, rise a night. And that was about as far as we got.
2: But it's the basis for a
1: hit musical, I think. I agree. (laughs) And I will resume writing it as soon as we finish recording. And and when you rise a night, do they automatically just inherit skills with defensive yeah. techniques and oh. sword play no they just become like a sort of and
2: fluffier larger tastier version of themselves themselves um, <laughs> on account of the yeast indeed <laughs> and,
1: <laughs> um,
3: prove a knight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wait a while you, you got to prove yourself <laughs> yeah pr- yeah then you, you rise to, you have to
3: prove yourself in the proving drawer oh, this to be the rise. key metaphor
1: of the musical oh, and then you God. earn some dough right
3: wow yeah, yeah. oh this thing writes itself it
2: really does and uh, and what happens in the movie for your benefit Ant mm-hmm. is that the movie portrays Balian as just kind of assembling a whole bunch of peasants together yep. putting a weapon in their hand and then making them all knights all as a wanna but he didn't quite do that he was actually just knighting it's the, so the people who are already poshos. soldiers yeah, yeah they're already yeah. kind of like posho soldiers but anyway it still kind of happened and then uh, Saladin's army then arrives and just gets on with the professional job that they've been doing the whole time yeah. starts, starts to knock down portions of the wall they then knock, do knock down a portion of the wall but they can't then get into the city which again is actually kind of what happens in the movie yeah so um, uh-huh. because of the new knights they hold them back yeah
3: because there's like well, a 12 year old holding a baguette who keeps yeah, yeah, them yeah. out yeah
2: exactly and, and then and then Balian does ride out to meet Saladin and parlays with him and reports that the defenders would, quote, rather kill each other and destroy the city than see it taken by force, unquote, which is not the message from the movie Mm, at all. Uh, But anyway, so they negotiate and they strike a deal that the city would be handed over peacefully to Saladin.
1: That could have happened if he just followed his original deal as well, right? Yeah, exactly. It's not clear why... If anything, he's incurred more expenses. There's wall repair. Yeah, Night upkeep.
3: Yeah, to pay for the absolution They'd from the for, priest. Uh, of
1: course, yeah. Well, I, suppose, I suppose he's got more leverage, right? You know, because yeah, he's, maybe, sort of, yeah, he's yeah, proven
2: yeah. They, can, Inside yeah, yeah, yeah. they can make yeah. it painful to, 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 to yeah. take. So anyway, the, uh, and Saladin agrees that he will free 7,000 men who he's taken prisoner from the previous battles. Yeah, okay. Uh, and 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 you will love this, Anna. So he'll, he'll take... So Saladin says, okay, I'll free these 7,000 warriors, crusader warriors, back to you, but... In return for the Crusader warriors, you have to hand over two women or ten children for each of
1: the men.
3: <laughs> oh, what? So uh, seventy
1: thousand children uh, and women, or fourteen
3: thousand women, or oh, seventy thousand or, or, 70, or, children. 70, or children. Some children, combination of or that. some combination. Which would you rather have? What?
2: I would hand over. I, I think if it was me, yeah, I would. I would. I would hand over seven thousand women and thirty five thousand children.
4: Nice. And yeah, it's yeah, uh, yeah. fair. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, and and then a, a subsequent negotiation takes place in which they arrive at the exact number to be handed over, and and they do indeed hand people over, and then incredible, Bailey and-
1: like sorry, sorry so w- they, they just handed over women and children. Yeah, to so get- the
2: thing, the thing to I think to recognise this time is that the, the, these crusading knights, yeah. were. Like another kind of modern equivalent of like a jet fighter pilot to train. You know, yeah. they spent their whole <laughs> life training for combat. And, the, and they're, they're the incredibly they do, effective they get in captured. combat. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah because, yeah. well, the whole army was outflanked and so never really got to fight. Uh, okay, so yeah. so you've got like, they've all got decades of experience they you need yep. them for the subsequent campaigns and everything. Yep. So um, I think. Yeah, and, like and women and children kids, just weren't counted as people at the time i guess no,
3: well still aren't no, arguably I would, that's <laughs> well, as
2: incredible. i as i've said many times before what use is an untrained child <laughs> there
1: wasn't even chimneys to sweep then. yeah it's weird that
3: you got that printed on your business cards <laughs> yeah. i feel like it doesn't come up in your line of work enough to justify you i just printing
1: they're it. just words i live by yeah <laughs> and um, obedient, that's why you train child soldiers <laughs>
2: And Balian then handed over the keys to the Tower of David, which is the Citadel, on October the 2nd, and Saladin then allowed, much like the movie, an orderly march away from mm. Jerusalem and prevented any kind of massacre taking place, uh, when, which of the kind when the Crusaders had had previously yeah. captured yeah. jerusalem and massacred everyone inside about 100 years before or 90 years before uh, so saladin was basically being quite a good egg really yeah really. i do
3: that is kind of one thing i remember from the movie and also because this is what i studied at, at school Is like as far as these things go saladin was actually pretty cool yeah,
4: yeah pretty, and like could like
3: have, like have been yeah. had he treated the crusaders how they had treated his people earlier he would have
1: I think that's exactly But right. he did profit them. like 35,000 children and 7,000 women as Yeah, well. and yeah. the
3: city of Jerusalem.
1: And the city of Jerusalem. Yeah. Exactly.
2: So, yeah, it's in his interest, I suppose, Let's to let that go freely. So Balian then joined his wife and his children in Tripoli. Uh, and then unlike in the movie, so that where Balian is then shown going back to France and living a life of quiet, humble peace yeah uh, what actually happened is he stayed in the middle east and then took part in the third crusade five years later classic uh, and okay. then continued to crusade all the way for the rest of his life yeah. trying to conquer the holy land more and to, to regain ibelin which was under saladin's control yeah and uh, so there you have it that's the ba- balian of ibelin in reality and in movie
1: okay so this uh, episode for 1187, I am going to take us on a trip to the modern day Middle East and the Indian subcontinent. Mm. And we're going to talk about some dynasties and dynastic change. Ooh. So in the year 1187, a chap, the hero of the tale, a guy called Muhammad of Gore, was a ruler of the region of uh, the eponymous Gore, where he's of, oh. <laughs> uh, which was in present day Afghanistan. Oh. He led a successful campaign against the Uh, Ghaznavid dynasty. So the Ghaznavids uh, ruled for a couple of hundred years. So the Ghaznavids uh, from about 977 to 1186 were this sort of Turkic dynasty that invaded northern India several times, but mostly based in Afghanistan. Uh, But he managed to overthrow them and establish his dynasty. Um, So he captured the city of Multan in modern day Pakistan. And this is part of a larger campaign of the Gurids, the people of Gore, um, which was his dynasty, to extend their power over the territories that were under the control of the Ghaznavids, And this victory at Multan was significant in that it sort of took the base away from them and it further established his supremacy in the region. And then importantly, this actually paved the way for the creation of something far more important, a few years later, which the
3: Saturn V rocket.
1: Saturn V <laughs> rocket. Uh, it is, in fact, the that's di- amazing. Yes, yeah, <laughs> which famously famously
2: took uh, man to the moon
1: yes. the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as well as that, also the Delhi Sultanate. But, oh, uh, okay. okay. And, and like this, wow. just just set the scene here in the sort of Indian subcontinent. In I the mean. Moon. This goes and the moon and the, to set the scene in the southern subcontinent of the moon, um, but there's just a long lineage of dynasties going back throughout the ages, and it starts off. Uh, the oldest recorded one is the Indus Valley civilization. So the Indus Valley.
3: Oh, you've really taken us back.
1: Yeah, really. Do you know what? What years do you think we're talking about here? Like.
3: Indus Valley is
1: BC, 10,000 B.C.? 3,300-ish B.C. And it's one of the first major urban civilizations. So this sort of area of territory has had just, you know, strata of civilization upon civilization upon them. And this is but the latest. But the Delhi Sultanate itself was quite significant. Um, So they emerged in about 1206 and they lasted for about 300 years But the reason why they're significant is because this was the first Muslim rule of the area. So prior to this, they were not uh, in charge and now they were. And it lasted until about the 16th century um, and they sort of controlled the vast uh, Indian subcontinent. And it established this crucial turning point in the sort of the South Asian history. And so this Sultanate effectively ended the Hindu and Buddhist ruling dynastic uh, areas and the sort of the mm. class of peoples and establish the the Muslim uh, sort of territories there
3: I have a very important question mm. who plays Muhammad of Gore in the movie <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am applying for the role myself. <laughs>
3: okay, okay, because I'm having trouble picturing him. All I'm picturing is a shredded Orlando blue.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah, Hugh Jackman. Oh, okay, uh, Jackman. okay. Shredded Hugh Jackman. Obviously.
3: Great, no problems there.
1: Um, so the Sultanate successfully resisted also the invasion of the Mongols, which was a massive uh, no. stabilizing force. Yes, they did. No. they uh, Mongols. The Mongols. Yes, who, in India. Well, they tried to uh, try to you know in India. The, uh, the sort of Mongols concert.
3: were, were a famously widespread, widespread
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't, they I didn't know like, they spread that they weren't like all nucleated in like yeah. you know like Tewkesbury or whatever like, <laughs> <laughs> yes
3: Genghis Khan they never Tewkesbury. left Watford
1: yeah
4: <laughs> no. why
1: would you so and they did this actually with because what other people failed to do is they maintained a large standing army which was actually sort of rare at the time yeah. a large standing army that you just kept up it was like militias that formed as and when and they also had strong fortica- fortifications not just along the borders um but also in depth, so basically anywhere there's places of, in, of strategic importance, they had fortifications. Sorry,
3: you're talking about the Mongols now, or the no, Delhi the, the, Sultanate? The, the Delhi Sultanate. Okay, cool.
1: And they also had proactive campaigning to sort of keep the Mongols on the back foot, so they couldn't sort of like store logistics and stuff. They would sort of disrupt them. So like some really interesting sort of military tactical bits yeah. there to actually how do you maintain an empire or a dynasty, which I am taking to heart. And <laughs> so we will be invading Watford
4: <laughs> very soon to cut off
1: their supplies. Um, But uh, this also came with internal strife and conflict with some very intense periods of violence inside the dynasty, especially during the sort of conquest as expanding people vying for power. Mm. There was religious tensions also between the predominantly Hindu population. And the minority uh, Muslim rulers, so it wasn't all fun and games for the Delhi Sultanate.
3: I mean, nor has it been in the subsequent century. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, it, it, it does <gasps> haven't
3: really solved that one.
1: <laughs> it does, does get a bit does get a bit worse, unfortunately, before it gets better. Um, but the, the Delhi Sultanate facilitated just a great deal of cultural and religious change. Uh, they brought along Persian influences and sort of spread them, and uh, Persian became the official language of the courts. And also, interestingly, this is where Damascus steel first was made and invented. If you have heard of Damascus steel, it is a specific type of forming of steel where you...
0: F- Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? Fold uh, it over each other again and again, and beat it down, and it creates these beautiful, beautiful patterns. And so. it didn't
3: come from Damascus.
1: Well, y- Damascus steel is a bit of a uh, misnomer. It's kind of you know where did it actually come from? But it, we think it's from here, and it's okay. just a Oh wow, huh. Damascus steel. Um, is that like Valyrian steel? It is exactly like Valyrian. It is the only thing you can slay White Walkers with, <laughs> and they invite, invented it there. Um, uh, so, <laughs> so one of the significant pieces that is still standing from this time is the sort of the f- fusion of islamic and hindu architectural styles which became predominant there and this led to the creation of the cut uh, minar which is in delhi so spelled Q U T B space m i you can see that with a
2: telescope from earth can't you you can see it on um
1: on you night in the moon
3: yeah you can see it if you're um, in delhi you can just look at it and yeah. it's
1: right there yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i didn't Sure, maybe. I, did, I didn't go to the moon for my research to see. but uh, Wow, I <laughs> yeah,
3: thought you cared about the podcast.
1: But it is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's a beautiful, tall tower, effectively is what it is. And it's just a prime art- example of the architecture of the time and the feats and the complexity of which they're able to build. Huh. So they're really, really uh, interesting stuff. They also uh, laid the foundation for the emergence of the Mughal Empire that would come after them. Ah. Uh, and that had a dramatic impact on the subcontinent subcontinent consolidating power and sort of making it more official and joined up and shaped culture, arts and just like administrative prowess of the region as well, which then was subsequently taken over by the, the, the British rash. Um
4: <laughs> oh, there <laughs> they yes. come Yes. so the Delhi Sultan
1: <laughs> talk about
3: white walkers. Yeah I know
1: they had more Damascus <laughs> <Alaska> steel. <laughs> nice. That's,
3: That's good, good, right? But uh, you people are
1: so they're the first major Muslim power, political power in the in, in sort of Indian subcontinent ruling from about twelve oh six uh, however, they were in decline with the internal divisions, rebellion, and the invasion of the uh, people from Timur. So T I M U R in 1398, where there was a descendant of uh, the Timurid princes and sort of uh, uh, Genghis Khan himself, and they defeated the last Sultan of Delhi and then took over, and then this sort of spawned the next age. Um, this guy called Barber, and that. Marks the end of the Delhi Sultanate and beginning of the Mughal Emperor in India, and then they dominated the whole place. Lots of rich architectural grandeur. Famous structures like the Taj Mahal were built then, and the Red Fort being constructed at this time. And I then, mean,
3: we're like hundreds of years past 1187 look, now, right? Look,
1: <laughs> yeah, we are quite a long way from where we started, okay. Toto. So you know, <laughs> just hold on. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. And then the British Raj in 1858, which you know they they um, governed from that <laughs> stage rather aggressively (laughs) so there you go that is the sort of talk about the delhi sultanate and the takeover by muhammad of gore and the ghaznavid dynasties fall from grace
3: amazing
2: that's really interesting i actually have learned a lot about indian history during this podcast in a way that i mean i i I can now slightly see how things connect together yes it's it's just a bunch
1: of history that i've never really studied before i I didn't know you know much about and just even understanding that dozens and dozens of dynasties that sort of span this area all vying for power. And and a lot of them that you might not have heard of, the Pala Emperor, the Palvala, the Vatican, Vatakata empire etc the gupta empire well names. they're big ones they're big ones they're really yeah, big yeah, for sure how yeah. many
2: so how many are you going to mention uh,
1: i could name all, all them. i think i've got about about two dozen here that <laughs> i can keep going and if you really want me to there uh, are really
3: cool like um videos or animations that show the territory over time like a yeah, time lapse and and you see, and yeah, yeah the, just the, like some people control all of india some people have just a corner of it and it, and it changes and it's just times. a fascinating
1: like melting pot of culture yeah. architecture Uh, religion all coming together and changing and morphing through time so it's like just a very rich dense sort of strata of architectural styles and and interesting bits of history
4: god
3: history history in a history podcast love it
1: would god save the queen man (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
4: like
3: ant i'm also today talking about a uh, place that I don't know very much about. And it's a whole new language family of words to mispronounce, uh, which is exciting. Mm. Yes, I'm talking about Oklahoma. Now, <laughs> uh, Japan. Oh, yeah, okay. I actually, it? I think this is my first time talking about Japan. I can't remember uh, if any of us have... Ever we, talked about uh, it, I'm which is sure. crazy because it has an incredibly long I and interesting history. I
2: fear Japanese history and culture because it's uh, for several reasons in, okay. the, in the context of of something I feel confident enough to talk about on a podcast. Like because it's just so distinct yeah. from like European mm. centric mm. Yeah. culture, right? Yeah. And it's its own thing. There's lots of complicated words that I worry about mispronouncing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Um, I've basically always avoided it for that reason. Great. Well, I'm, just-
3: I'm going to be bold. I, uh, Maybe I'll
1: do it in future. Yeah. No, we're doing this now. Also because you've lost your master and now you're a wandering ronin and no longer a sort of a noble samurai, right? Exactly right.
4: Uh, that's right. I have, you're in addition to there. those
2: factors I mentioned earlier, perhaps the principal reason I should have mentioned
4: <laughs>
1: yeah. was that,
2: of course, I've lost my ma- my master having been a samurai.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Tom Cruise
2: played you in that movie. Tom Cruise, of course, he pa- played me in the movie and now I'm a mere ronin.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah.
3: Well... <laughs> sorry, b- back, b- sorry back, b- to-, Anna, to-, Anna, back, to-, back to, to history yeah <laughs> great so um japan <laughs> that's how we say it um yeah i'm going to talk a little bit about an important war that was actually kind of a turning point in japanese history and then uh a story of some characters that kind of came out of that war that i found really fascinating and um so that's that is what i'm going to talk about and now here i go i'm going to talk about it now
1: introduction complete <laughs>
3: <laughs> introduction complete so I want to talk, first of all, about the Genpei War, mm. uh, and this is a power struggle between two really powerful samurai clans, the Taira and the Minamoto, and the Taira were, had been historically closer to the emperor at this time, but they had been tussling with the Minamoto for decades for influence and power, and it finally comes to a head in 1180, Uh, So in that year, the ruling emperor died, and I believe his son, it may have been a grandson, but I think it was his son, uh, named Antoku, ascends to the throne, the Chrysanthemum throne, which is the throne Ah. of Japan, Imperial Japan. Antoku? Antoku, so, okay. yeah, cool. I like him. I'm sure he went by Ant. Yeah, uh, but he was a baby; he was one year old. <laughs> so much like you, so the crimson like cr- cradle. cradle, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so there is a there is a baby on the throne. His mother is a Tyra, and his grandfather is the leader of the Tyra, and he rules in his place. Okay, yeah. Uh, not officially as regent, but like definitely the is facto. the power behind yeah, the throne, yeah, yeah. and this angers some people. Uh, let the baby rule. Let, let the, <laughs> as we've all said, let the baby rule. Except, Will, this is another case where, child. where your motto comes in handy. <laughs> is the baby trained? He is not trained. Not interested. Yeah, exactly. Um, so a call goes out uh, to the Minamoto asking for their aid in overthrowing the Tyra and getting this... It, a baby emperor off the throne. Yeah. Uh, and that is exactly what happened. The Minamoto are absolutely in. They've been waiting to really bring this thing to a head. And very quickly, it becomes a full scale war between these two sides. Uh, and it goes back and forth for five years, culminating in the decisive Battle of Danoura in 1185, which is one of the most famous naval battles in Japanese oh. history.
1: Hmm. I, I don't associate naval yeah. warfare with, with Japanese history. I don't know why. I mean, obviously... It's
3: yeah, I mean, part. like, I think because historically... Because they weren't um, exploring in yeah, the, yeah, in the yeah. way that we think of the Portuguese or the Spanish mm. and associate them with seafaring. But yeah, I think... I doing. don't I mean makes sense a
1: series of islands right Midway yeah Mid- yeah
3: exactly well then famously they had a <laughs> well I mean
1: yes quite it, a big
3: it, naval presence regretted in, that one in yeah. one, of a, one of the big wars uh, but in this one in 1185 yeah it's a naval battle uh, and the tides played a powerful role as cruel they often do cruel the mistress the Tyra were uh, more experienced sailors in general and the tides at first gave them the advantage but then but six
1: hours later six hours later <laughs> it's I mean, it a real back and
3: forth. Yeah, and the Minamoto advantage was considerably enhanced by the defection of Taguchi, who was a warrior, a really famous tyro warrior, who went over to the Minamoto side in the middle of the action. Oh, I guess, gosh. like, maybe hopped off a boat and swam to the other yeah, side. Yeah, yeah. But, unclear, but he, that really turned the tide Mm -hmm. you may say Mm -hmm. in addition to the tide being turned by (laughs) the moon um it's a really moon heavy episode it
1: is actually the moon does feature quite a lot here
3: we love the moon uh so sadly i think we should
1: steer away from politics to be honest
3: emperor antoku who at this point is uh is a child uh he was there at the battle and he was drowned along with many many others and the Tyra. I don't know if I'm saying that right at all, but so I apologize, but they lose the battle and the war. The Minamoto win, and it's a really big turning point in history because it leads to the Shogun era. Uh, era. Um, What is this? The Shogun era is essentially a series of military dictatorships.
4: Um, The emperor. Yeah,
3: the Shogunate, yeah. So the emperor still existed, but for about 650 years, the real power behind the throne was the Shoguns, who were these military dictators. So Tyra,
1: yeah. Minamoto. Oh, Minamoto. So Tyra Tyra Banks out.
3: Ira's out. Yeah. She didn't... Uh, she's not Minamoto. Japan's next top shogun. <laughs> um, the Minamoto win. And uh, Minamoto no Yoritomo becomes the first shogun. And yeah, like I said, the shogun, shogunate era... Sh- why do I keep saying area? The shogunate era lasted for 650 years wow. until the Meiji Restoration. In, in yeah. the... Anyway. Wow. So it's a pretty consequential war. It really changes the face of Japan and who's the power behind the throne. But, uh, in the second half of my bit here, there's a side story that I also really loved because it's pretty emblematic of this, I think maybe overly romanticized samurai lifestyle. Um, but to be fair, it was also romanticized in the era. So the people I'm about to talk about became the stuff of legends and are actually Mm. quite famous pop culture, um, Figures or cultural figures, I guess. So there was an old man named Fujiwara no Hidihara, who ruled northern Fujiwara. Uh, and this, of course. Of course.
2: Thank you for setting that. Yes. Apart name-tick. from southern and or central Fujiwara. We
3: all obviously know exactly where mm-hmm. northern Fujiwara is. <laughs> yep. In Japan. It is to the north of southern
4: Fujiwara. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
3: yeah, it's kind of in the northeast of Japan, and it was a little independent of the central government. Uh, he was he ruled with a great deal of autonomy. And before the war kicked off, he had offered to shelter one of the one of the minimo- so he even though he was independent he kind of drew a line in the sand mm. by sheltering a Minamoto who at that Sorry, point and
2: a Minamoto is what
3: we there was remember the two sides of the battle were the Taira and the Minamoto got it, got it, got it. so this is before the war the Tairas are in power but Fujiwara is sheltering a Minamoto
1: okay there no. will be a quiz
3: there will be a quiz <laughs> I've I've tried to Reduce the number of proper nouns as much as possible, but there are going to be some. Mm. Also, I
1: feel
2: bad about the Fujiwara comment because there's probably like eight million people live there or something today. Oh, like, it, it, is, it
3: is a massive so amount ignorant. of territory. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've you've set your own progress with Japanese history back like mm, yeah. six or seven episodes. Um. Anyway, so this guy Fujiwara is sheltering a Minamoto son whose name is Yoshi Tsune, ah. and we will just be calling him Yoshi. Because I am already so self-conscious about all of the pronunciation. Oh, yeah,
1: here. you've got it all wrong. So,
3: <laughs> so Yoshi eventually leaves the sanctuary of Fujiwara to join his brother, who is Mario. leading the Minamoto <laughs> war effort. So the, the Minamoto brothers are now out of their sanctuary and they're fighting the Taira and they're winning the battle. I'm acting it out with my hands so that Will can understand. Good. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Do you understand what's <gasps> going on with my hands? The Minamoto win the war, as we've talked about, and the older brother, Yoritomo, becomes the first shogun, as I've just mentioned. But at a certain point, Yoshi, despite having fought the war alongside his brother, now that his brother is in power, decides that he doesn't want to support him. He yes. tries to overthrow him. Okay, It classic. does not go well. And so Yoshi flees back to Fujiwara, to his sanctuary Mm. with this old man, uh, as a sort of hoping that he'll be protected from his now very powerful and angry brother. In 1187, Mm. the old man dies,
4: but commands
3: his son to keep offering protection to Yoshi. Uh Mm. Now, what has history taught us? happened next basically
2: no one ever follows any will ever yeah was he
1: absolved from this oath
3: <laughs> yeah so uh, the son absolves himself from the deathbed promise he made to his father brilliant gives up yoshi almost immediately mm. says to the to the older brother the shogun i have your brother he's here come get him and the shogun does come and uh yoshi is betrayed and he knows that he's lost and as the brother the first shogun and his troops close in around this castle yoshi decides that he would rather commit seppuku than oh surrender Grim. Yeah. and as a quick side note the first recorded act of seppuku which is if you don't know the kind of ritualistic suicide uh that samurai often undertook uh the first recorded act happened just a few years earlier. So oh, right. either in 1170 or 1180, also by a member of the Minamoto clan. So he wasn't
1: even sure this trend was going to catch up. Yeah, on. so he was, he was real, an, yeah. an
3: early, early yeah, adopter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's
2: not really a ritual then, is it? If it's just like well, something, he, something someone did three years ago.
3: Yeah, I think uh, i think going new thing out. It's est- like a restaurant, you est- know? It's establishing like, you sure? the ritual, right? <laughs> Someone's got to start the trend.
4: Grim. Someone, mm.
3: someone was the first person to wear Crocs. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> this is just like that. Just <laughs> like that. I don't know why Which is actually Actually, modern-day ritualistic
3: the, the, seppuku. The first <laughs> yeah. You might as well
2: be committing yeah, social yeah. seppuku. I yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. don't know why that's the first trend I thought of. Um anyway, so Yoshi has has gone into the castle to commit seppuku rather than surrender. Bowser's. And his uh yes, castle. into Bowser's castle. We might be veering into offensive things now. <laughs> so Yoshi's retainer his sort of manservant mm. is a man named Ben K, who was a famous warrior monk and he's actually fascinating and worthy of his own segment but I won't get into all of that now but apparently he was two meters tall and he armed himself with wow. seven weapons at all time and was on a quest to take 1,000 swords from samurai warriors who he believed were arrogant and unworthy wow. which I think is a pretty dope quest. That is pretty cool. Nice. Yeah so this guy you have to imagine like the legend around this guy is huge Already in mm-hmm. his life, um, and I mention him here because when it became clear that Yoshi had been betrayed and was going to be captured by his brother, Benkei stood guard on the bridge of the castle to give Yoshi enough time to prepare for the rite of Seppuku. And it said that the soldiers were too afraid to cross the bridge because Benkei was there. Some of the soldiers attempted it, but he killed three hundred of them.
1: Mm, definitely. You and know. also, he was two
3: meters tall. Two meters A meter tall. wasn't
1: invented at the time.
3: Okay, well, yeah, he was two imperial Japanese meters <laughs> okay, tall. Yeah.
4: Um,
3: and then so the soldiers, seeing that this was very, they couldn't win, switched to arrows. And they shot many, many, many arrows at him. And when they finally gained the courage to cross the bridge to see if he was dead, he was indeed dead, but was still standing upright. And this is now known as the standing death of Benkei.
1: That's pretty cool. But also you think they'd switch to arrows like 200 soldiers prior to that? <laughs> yeah, I think,
3: yeah. I think tactically some mistakes keep, were made.
1: Keep going single file, one at a time, everyone.
3: <laughs> Maybe it was a very narrow bridge. Give
1: him enough time for a water break as well.
3: <laughs> well, he had seven weapons. So he was just like yeah, yeah. constantly gathering different things off Standing his back. Standing
1: death of Ben-K. That's Standing death like, of Penke, which is cool. That's very cool.
3: And then he becomes this kind of revered figure. There's a statue of him. Um Anyway, just to close it out, the guy who had betrayed Yoshi to his brother takes Yoshi's head, preserves it in a jar of sake, and sends it to the brother, the shogun, as a way to be like, hey, remember when I ignored my father's dying wish to protect this guy, and instead I betrayed him for you? Here's his head. You're welcome. But uh, Yoritomo, the shogun, was not appeased, and he killed the guy anyway, destroyed the whole Fujiwara domain, so all of it was in vain. (laughs)
1: That is... Just- Golly gosh. <laughs>
3: yeah. Great choices all around. That is just a little bit about what was happening in Japan in the 1180s and the kind of beginning of this really interesting phase of yeah. Japanese history.
2: People are the worst, aren't they? Yeah, people are yeah. the Wherever you go in the world, where, whichever historical period yeah. you look at. Everyone's lying and chopping each other up.
3: I mean, that is, I was, as I was doing that research, I remembered that isn't even the first time that this exact scenario (laughs) of presenting somebody the head of somebody you've killed for them. Only for the receiver of the head to say, thanks, not enough. I've talked about that exact scenario. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. happened to you
2: this morning, didn't it? <laughs> that happened to me this
3: morning. <laughs> I cannot tell you how hard it is to get rid of a head. <laughs> They're never uh, happy. No one will take them. Um, so anyway, I hope I've done a little bit of justice to that period of history. Um, and if you liked it, I will do more Japan. And if I said anything wrong, I apologize. And I will stick to America. <laughs> <laughs> more, please. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. That's everything you'd ever need to know about the year 1187 and a few decades and centuries before and after, as <laughs> is our custom.
1: Yep. I'm very happy with how this has gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should we do a
3: live debrief? Yeah, on yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I'll rate my segment five yeah. out, of, out of five. Um, anyway, <laughs> now is all that's left to do. Yes. Now is all that's left to do. That's, yep, a, that's now a is all that's now left is to all that's left to do is get us the next year for exactly. next time. Exactly, Please, exactly right, William. Um,
3: now uh, is get uh, us the next year.
1: <laughs>
2: good. This this outro is going really <laughs>
3: <Yes>.
4: normally. <laughs> Everything's so going normal. normal. great.
2: <laughs> So before I do ask the random number generator to select a year for us next time, just a reminder that if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com yes. slash randomlyhistory, where you can become a board member and select a year for yourself we- for yeah. us to cover for you.
3: Did I say I was uh, tell you guys I was talking to one of our esteemed and illustrious board members the other day oh, and yeah. I reminded him that he had yet to choose a year mm. and he chose the year 2043.
2: Uh, that's helpful. <laughs> that's, that's outside the range.
3: He would like to predict the future. <laughs> and I told him that he could do that if he tripled the amount of money yeah. that he is currently paying us.
1: We are in a lot of debt.
4: <laughs> so
1: we would probably do it as well. Yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> probably would. Okay, so I'll just fire
2: up the random number generator and The year for next time is... 1995.
3: What? Yes!
1: Yes! Can I just, like... Do one of my memories? <laughs>
3: yes, that is the first. That's the first year that we've been alive for, right? Yes, it is. We
2: didn't. We do nine.
3: We did eighty-five, which famously some of us may have been in utero, but uh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, do yeah. not have so memories. I was is that, is that right? We were all eleven years old. I me? think that I think this is the first one we've done that we have been alive. Should
1: we do yet. something on the Patreon where we just describe something that happened to us when we were eleven? <laughs> <laughs> I think it could be very cathartic. We and, weren't and eleven, mate. We were nine. We were nine. Yeah. Did I do maths bad? Yeah. Okay.
3: <laughs> or either that, or you're two years older than you've been telling me this whole time.
4: <laughs> time is a flat circle. <laughs>
3: yeah, uh, I'm so excited. I'm gonna just read the Saddle Club or a Babysitter's Club book, mm. or maybe. Oh my God, maybe I'll see if I can find a journal that I kept in fourth grade. Yeah, let's just, just read to us. For just 10 minutes. read to you about the boys that I had a crush on it's back when then. I started smoking. And Seth Freeman, if you're listening. Seth Freeman. Tyler Newton, too. Mm, anyway. Okay. Anyway. Okay, we should finish. (laughs) (laughs) I have several more names. Hold on.
2: Join us next time to learn more about (laughs) Seth Newton and Tyler. (laughs) Bye.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.